we've now got um, Cheryl here with us um, to uh, share a message. So before we dive straight into that, I'm just going to quickly pray for you, Cheryl. So, Father, thank you so much for bringing Cheryl here this morning um, and giving us the opportunity to hear from her and hear um, the message that she's prepared. Father, I just pray that you take away any anxieties that she may be feeling this morning um, and just fill her with just a sense of awe and love and peace, Father. In your holy name, Amen. Good morning, everybody. It's really great to be with you. Um, we're in the middle of a series that's um, based in Exodus, looking at uh, some of the stories around the people of Israel leaving Egypt and what happened to them as they walked through a desert. And um, I've been given uh, Exodus 17. We don't get to pick what we speak on. We just get given it. And it all, we also gave, got given a title this time, which is How to Approach Obstacles. So let's read from Exodus 17, it's verses 8 to 15. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered and Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat upon it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will bl completely blot out the name of Amalek from under the heavens. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner and he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of God, the Lord will be at war with the Amalekites from generation to generation. So we open with the Amalekites and they're a group of people that are descended from Esau. And the Israelites are a group of people who are descended from, um, from Jacob and Jacob and Esau are actually brothers, but their relationship had been pretty traumatic. So this pe these people in the story, they have a shared story, but they don't have a shared destiny. The Amalekites have attacked the Israelites before, but it doesn't actually talk about it in Exodus, it talks about it in Deuteronomy. When the Israelites had left Egypt, at some point, the Amalekites attacked those who were lagging behind, those who were weary and worn out. So not facing head to head in battle, but sort of picking off people who were, were tired and lagging at the back. The Amalekites are trying to prevent the people of God getting to see their promised land. The land they're actually in at that time isn't the promise, but it is part of the journey. When you're on a journey, you shouldn't really be surprised if opposition comes. Moses then, without even mentioning God, has said to do it, takes up his staff. And this is the staff that has already been transformed into a snake and back again. It's been used in the parting of the Red Sea and it's produced water from a rock. 
The staff isn't magic, but it is a representation of the miraculous, not only to those who are following God, but to those who come against the people of God. When Moses puts the staff in the air, it's as if he's showing that God has already done the miraculous stick. Um, this picture um, is a picture of Aaron, Moses and her, and I'm particularly partial to it because my grandfather drew it for um, my uncle and my cousin now has it on her wall in her bedroom. But I just love um, the depiction of it and Moses sitting down and being supported on each side. Moses' expectation is that God will do something practical, visible and miraculous. It's not something that just exists in head knowledge, but it's evidence in front of everyone. In Egypt, the people saw a whole pile of supernatural plagues. In the wilderness, there's a pillar of cloud, there's a pillar of fire, there's water from a rock, there's manna, bread, who doesn't love a carb, and quail. Now, that would have been a lot of dead birds by now because there were millions of Israelites. Moses ropes in Aaron and her. Aaron is Moses' brother, and whoever he, her is, Moses must have trusted that he at least had some strong arms and that he could support him for as long as victory takes. There are no guarantees about when and how God is going to turn up, just the guarantee that he will. Who is supporting you in your vision of seeing God at work? Who is reminding you about the nature of God, the miraculous God that we serve? Who is with you on your journey? Who can you rely on? Not only are Moses and Aaron and her standing in the gap for the supernatural to be evident on earth, but they are bringing Joshua and the fight before God. We all need people who will intercede before the throne of God for us. Who can you turn to to ask, you, ask the, uh, them to bring you before the throne of God? Joshua doesn't overcome the Amalekites with prayer, just with prayer, but also with the sword. Now, I'm not going to suggest that we go after our enemies with swords. There's a lot about God and the Bible that are mysteries to me, and killing people is one of them. I just don't understand it, and I'm okay with not understanding it. We all need the capacity to say, I don't understand what's going on when we read the Bible and when we look at the world around us and even when we look at our own lives. I like the saying, a coat hook of mystery, and there's plenty on my coat hook. And now God speaks, and it's to say, remember. But make sure Joshua hears it. Joshua is going to be able to need to draw on this experience in future battles that he leads people into. But actually, everybody is going to be going to have to remember that God comes through. It's not about a method or about a staff going up and down, but it is about the one who it's pointing to. You know, people have really short memories. There are lots of places in the Bible where God tells us to remember but I particularly love the remember in Psalm 102 because it's actually, the psalm itself is titled A Prayer of an Afflicted Person Who Has Grown Weak and Pours Out Their Lament Towards the Lord. A psalm that tracks 
uh, from desperation in circumstances to having eyes on an everlasting God. Just after this, in the psalm says, God will turn the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their prayer. It says, let this be written for a generation to come that a people not yet created will worship the Lord. God works supernaturally in the people of Israel's circumstances. When the going gets tough, they forget that the journey is about journey and destiny. The long perspective, and honestly, I'm a bit like that too, sometimes wrestling with the discomfort of moving towards freedom, having a small perspective or feeling that I'm going to be overwhelmed. What do you do to remember God's works? The Bible is a whole series of books showing us who God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are, their nature and, and what has already been done. And if God has done it, he can do it again. Moses builds an altar and he calls it, the Lord is my banner. This isn't an ordinary banner, like you'd get advertising a sale or at somebody's birthday party, or even a flag. This is a banner about battle and victory. And yesterday I was just thinking also, uh, it reminded me a bit about um, banners when you see them at football matches or people carrying scarves with their team's name on, that these people are identifying with a particular team. And this banner is something that we can identify with. But the banner itself is, um, is about battle and it's about victory. The Lord is my banner and he's my banner of victory. In wars, in histories, armies would have a banner. The soldiers in battle could use it to orientate themselves to, as to where their compatriots were. Whose banner are you coming under? Who are you fighting for? When Jesus died on the cross, he died for victory over darkness, over sin and over shame. Jesus is my banner of victory. When you feel like you're in a battle, you can know who you're aligned with that brings victory, the one who is working for our good. God was working for the Israelites' good. He was working to bring the people from slavery to freedom. God worked against things in their journey, attempting to keep the Israelites from freedom and from the promises that God has made. And Jesus does that exactly the same way on the cross, through the resurrection and reigning in heaven in victory. He is working in our lives to take us from slavery to freedom. He works against things that would hinder us in our journey, attempts to keep us from freedom and the promises that God has made us. So how do we approach obstacles? We need to remember who God is and what he has done. We need to remember that when we feel like we're in a battle or oppressed, that we are aligned with God and he is working for us. It may well not look like what you expect it to look like or what you think is a good idea or in your own timing. Remember to look up. Remember, he is our banner, he is our victory, and remember, we are never alone.